the game is over. The New York Jets are the world champions. You play to win the game. He's got it. That's a Jet touchdown. Can't wait. You're listening to the official New York Jets podcast, a Jets 360 production. EA, the NFL floodgates are officially opening. The legal tampering period has begun. Free agency officially begins in two days. We just came back from the combine. It's March we- Madness. Yes, it is. The NCAA tournament yes, begins yes, on, on Thursday, but the NFL... League year commences on Wednesday. What a week it is in the sports world. What a week it should be for Jets Nation. Yes, it should because we got free agency. We got Matt Miller on the show. This is the official Jets podcast, by the way. You got to subscribe. iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you want. We're on NewYorkJets.com. EA to my left. You can't see that, but I'm telling you, follow him on Twitter at Jets. Myself, Ethan Greenberg, Ethan B. Greenberg. You can follow me on Instagram as well, E. Allen Jets. And you can follow Green on Instagram. You can, I just have to accept it. Oh, okay, Mr. Private over here. All right, we got a loaded show today. EA said it's a loaded week. This is one of the best weeks in the NFL offseason, and especially when you pair that with the March Madness of the NCAA. It's a great week. Everybody loves the NCAA tournament. Yeah, everybody. I mean, we're not going to talk too much about the NCAA tournament here. But, uh, yeah, if you want to tweet me and talk a little hoops, we can do that as well. But uh, we're going to have a busy week here at One Jets Drive. Mike McCagnan in Indianapolis said the Jets will be active in free agency. He said that in January when the season ended. He said expect the team to be active, especially in the first day of free agency. But since we're talking about Indianapolis. Yep. EA and I went to Indianapolis for the 2018 NFL Scouting Combine. It was not negative two degrees like EA had warned me that it usually is. It was actually pretty warm. Indianapolis is a fun little city. It's a great city. It's a great convention city. There has been talk, and you heard some of this chatter yourself while we were in Indianapolis, that the league could possibly move the Combine in future years. But I'll tell you what, I think Indianapolis does a great job Plenty of great restaurants in town for the folks at night who want to <laughs> go out and grab a quick bite to eat yep. or get an adult beverage. We were set up perfectly. Radio Row, the Jets set right behind ESPN. Yep. I know a lot Conveniently of fo- placed. I know a lot of folks saw us on ESPN, so uh, that was a, a nice little setup for us. And, and we talked to a lot of people. We listened to a lot of prospects and um Draft isn't too far away. I can't believe it's almost mid-March now. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a little bit over a month. If you're a Jets fan right now, you're looking at it and saying, okay, well, let's see what we get in free agency. But then we had the sixth overall selection, and we have three picks in the top 49 overall. This is a draft that is supposed to have a lot of depth uh, in rounds two and three. I don't know how many elite players, as Dane Brugler told us, are at the top. With that being said, I think there are elite players. I don't know where that breakoff point is, but there are guys who definitely help themselves in Indianapolis. But I would just reiterate that what you see on the field in Indianapolis should just be a confirmation of what you see on tape. The tape is what matters, Ethan. Or, or when, a red flag, depending yeah. upon... Yes, medicals, interviews, mm-hmm. all those other things. 
Yeah, no doubt. But as far as the run in the 40s, the verticals, the broads, the shuttles, all those things are important to an extent. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there were some winners and losers, as there are every year, of the 2018 scouting combine. We'll talk with Matt Miller about who those guys were in his eyes. But real quick about Indianapolis is two things that stood out to me about the city, not so much about the football part of it. Is one, the St. Elmo's cocktail sauce. You warned me about it. It is real. My nose was running like Usain Bolt. And two is, everyone's talking this. <laughs> we'll see if this makes the cut later on, but EA's telling me, oh, people in Indianapolis are nice. Everyone's telling me. I, got, I was driving the first night. We, I drove us to dinner. I got flipped off. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but you're from the city. You're a city guy. So your pops probably taught you how to drive at a real young age in the city, and you have to be aggressive. And, 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 uh, but but that was I was not aggressive with it. There happened to be someone that was walking across the street not looking. Yeah. So I gave her a little throat clear. Say, hey, listen, look up. She had the don't walk sign. I had a green light. We were driving like a tank in Indianapolis. The great car. Listen, so you beeped? I didn't honk. I gave a throat clear, like a little, just a little, a little tap on the horn, just to say, "Hey, oh, listen." Then you beep. We're so, coming in. So whatever. I'm she fine. With, me off. I'm fine with that, and you should be used to that. You're from New York, so don't oh, be I'm, upset about that. I'm not upset about it. I was just saying, oh, okay. Well, Indianapolis wanna, got that, some spice. That's enough about you. I want to talk some uh, football. I want right, to talk some draft. Fine. How about bringing in Matt Miller? Let's do it. Matt. We just got done with the Combine. Free agency is starting this week. I want to start with the NFL draft and the Combine. Who gained the most out of all the prospects who were in Indianapolis? Well, I I know everyone's going to talk about Saquon Barkley. And, yeah, he looks good, but we already knew he was really the consensus number one player in the class. So I would look at someone like Bradley Chubb who came in and tested exceptionally well, defensive end coming out of North Carolina State, and someone who I, I think is a top-five lock right now that has to be talked about as whether it's the Indianapolis Colts at three, maybe even the New York Giants at two, depending on what's there. He is someone that I think teams are going to be excited about. People I talk to say he's the hands-down best defender in the draft, so he's going to hear his name called early. And then a, a quarterback that you guys have been linked to, Josh Allen, that continued to have a great offseason. He looked good at the Senior Bowl. We saw improved mechanics. And all that carried over to his combine workout as well. You know, tested well athletically, shirt off that arm strength with that beautiful 70-yard bomb that he launched. Just again to show that he's taking the proper steps. He's not overstriding anymore when he throws. So that work he's put in with Jordan Palmer this offseason has really paid off and helped him out. So much to get to today with Matt Miller. You can listen to his podcast, Stick to Football. Matt, you mentioned Chubb. A lot of Jets fans ask me, hey, can he be a 3-4 rush linebacker if he did fall to six? Yeah, I think he can be. And I think that's why the combine is so important because we get to see that agility and to see guys who kind of play with their hand in the dirt all the time at college, stand up and move around and do some things. And, and to see, you know, three cone times, those are such a good indicator of a guy's ability to move around and play in space, I think, when we're talking about pass rushers. So he would be a little bit of a bigger stand-up rush linebacker, but he could absolutely do it. And, you know, as you guys know and as your, your listeners know, the line is blurring in the NFL between three, four, four, three. It's almost just a base package, and then you get into your passing situations, and everybody wants that dominant right defensive 
he's probably going to grade out comparably to where I had someone like Joey Bosa, just mm. in terms of a grade, which Bosa is one of my favorite players in the league right now and one of the most productive, too. So I definitely think that he's someone that can fit any defensive scheme and it would definitely be a fit with what you guys have there. Matt, where do you stand on Virginia Tech's Tremaine Edmonds? Because he's someone that I know has the eye of a lot of NFL fans because he's so big, he's so fast, uh, he plays inside, outside, but he's someone that I've seen in multiple mock drafts because it is officially mock draft season. He's always been on the board at six, and he's never really been linked to the Jets in a mock draft except for maybe one. So what's your stance on him, and how do you think he would fit in a system under Todd Bowles if the Jets end up drafting him in April? You know, you're right. He's big. He's you know, 6'5", 255. He's fast, and he's young. He's only 19 years old because he skipped some crates. So, you know, he's this freak uh, that's really unlike anything we've seen. Athletically, I think he's like Anthony Barr, and that's probably how you fit him into to Todd Bowles' scheme is he can be almost a matchup linebacker, whether he's in coverage or he can rush the quarterback at times. Uh, he can definitely stack up against the run. So he just gives you a nice wrinkle of a guy that can move around and do a lot of different things for you. I think you could put 10 pounds on him and make him an outside linebacker where he rushes the quarterback full-time. You could also just keep him in the middle and let him patrol and take away tight ends with his size and speed. Him matching up against Gronk would be pretty fun to watch because he has the size and speed to take those tight ends up the seam. So I think there's a lot of debate about where exactly do you put him in the NFL, where does he fit, but everyone agrees he is a great athlete, a really, really good player too. So if the Jets can you know make a splash in free agency and get to where they don't need to draft the quarterback at six, he's absolutely someone that has to be in play because I would say that that – you know, getting someone who can get after the quarterback is, is a pretty big priority for you guys. Well, we're going to talk about potential splashes in free agency in a couple moments <laughs> with Bleacher Reports' Matt Miller. But in your latest mock draft, you actually have the Jets going defense for which would be a tenth consecutive time in the first round and taking Denzel Ward out of Ohio State. Now, there's some other corners up there on your big board, Minka Fitzpatrick, a guy from Alabama, is interesting. Joshua Jackson from Iowa. What do you like about Ward, and is he big enough to play man press on the outside in the NFL? You know, I think that's a great question because he is a little undersized right now. He's almost 5'11". Uh, he's about a buck ninety, but he's physical. Uh, I went and watched him in your guys' backyard. I went and scouted him against Rutgers. And he's physical enough to play at the line of scrimmage. He can play in that press scheme because he does have long arms, especially for his frame. He's tough. His technique is so clean in that press situation. He's fast, too. I mean, he one, he had the fastest 40 time in the combine. So we see that he has not only technique, but he has the speed and athleticism to execute those bails, uh, to, to you know get up a guy's face and then carry them in phase down the field. So I love Denzel Ward. As far as, like you said, there are a lot of good corners in this class. I happen to think Minka Fitzpatrick has a safety, and you guys have two really good young ones, so he wouldn't be in play there. But, again, if some of the boxes can be checked in free agency, then I think you can get to the draft and go after someone like Denzel Ward, who's going to give you a number one corner that's 22 years old that you compare with Jamal Adams and Marcus May, and all of a sudden you have this great young secondary it's also going to be really, really cheap to have three key positions in that both defense checked off. That's an outstanding point. And uh, so you see Fitzpatrick 
is more of a true free safety who can play cornerback as opposed to a guy who can come out and a lot of people are going to say, well, we're going to play him on the outside. Yeah, I do. And maybe even more, like, you know, almost like a slot corner. That's a lot of what he did at Alabama this last year because they liked to get him in the box where he was so effective as a blitzer coming off the edge, taking away the run, spying quarterbacks. I think one thing that, that we've seen with Mika State, you know, he played outside corner early on in Alabama because of some injuries, and he's played free safety. He's played down in the box as a strong safety. He's played slot corner. So, you know, he is kind of like we were talking about with Tremaine Edmonds, someone that you probably could feel like could just match up really well each week, and you could move him around to say, okay, you know, if we're playing, you know, a team with a mobile quarterback, maybe we want him in the box. Or if you're playing the New England Patriots, maybe you want him matched up against the tight end or taking away all those little crossing routes and rub routes that they love to run. So I think he is someone that you don't have to, like, throw just the position on him and say, okay, he's only going to play free safety, single high. I think instead he's someone you can move around. And, and almost like you know how Tyron Matthew was early in his career, where you can just get a great matchup with him and, and try to take away the offense's best player. Well, we've been talking to Matt Miller from Bleacher Report for about seven and a half minutes. We haven't even talked quarterbacks yet, so if you had the over, uh, I think you win. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I'm going to hold off on the quarterbacks just because I have a couple more draft-gritty questions, and I'm looking at your mock draft, and EA brought up Denzel Ward, but in the second round, the Jets have two picks. They have a lot of draft capital early in the top 50. At 37, you have the green and white selecting Georgia's Lorenzo Carter, who had a very good week in Indianapolis. If you look at the 40, he obviously he has extremely long arms. How helpful was this event for him? Is he one of those guys that really used Indianapolis as kind of a catapult for his draft stock? I think so, and also he used the college football playoffs as a catapult to his draft stock. You go into that, and everyone's talking about Roquan Smith, and you start to see this other guy, right? And it's, oh, okay, well, you actually get after the quarterback a little bit. And, yeah, he has a great build, super long arms, and, oh, he's a pretty good athlete. And then the combine confirms all that that you've seen on tape. So I think that's why, you know, yeah, he's probably moved up on a lot of draft boards, especially in the media, uh, over the last month or so because he had that splash at the end of the year, and now he's backed it up with good testing. So I'm intrigued by him. You know, Georgia produces some great linebackers. It's a very good program for that. But I see him as someone who could be a very good rush linebacker because of the athleticism, because of the length. And he wasn't used in a full-time role doing that at Georgia, but he did it enough for us to see, okay, yeah, he's he can have production here. He has the tools to be a really good stand-up pass rusher. Hey, Matt, did Jordan Jenkins help you with your latest mock draft? Because I see you have <laughs> Nick Chubb going to the Jets in the fourth round. I think uh, the green and white faithful will be rejoicing if that does happen. I mean, Chubb was a highly successful running back with the Dogs. Yeah, and a great I think inside-outside runner. Um, Chubb reminds me of like a poor man's Frank Gore. So not a Hall of Fame running back <laughs> like Frank Gore. I'm not saying that. But <laughs> someone who has that running style, and he might not have the speed to turn the corner and hit those home runs. But I think in an inside zone scheme, he has such good vision. He's going to be able to pick his spots. He's going to be able to you know, get those tough yards. He tested very well to combine, better than I expected. Uh, it shows that he still has, even though he might not have the, the great home run speed after the knee injury, but he does still have the agility, the strength, the vision. I think he's going to be a very good player if he can just get 
to the right type of team that's going to use him and really play to his strengths. What fascinates you most, sorry, Greens, about the offensive line right now as far as this class is concerned? Because you are one of the guys who has put Iowa's James Daniels on my radar at the center position because everybody was talking about Billy Price for a long time, and unfortunately he got up to the bench in Indianapolis suffered that uh, partially torn pack that I believe will require surgery right now. Then Orlando Brown had, by all accounts, a tough Indianapolis. And uh, there's a lot of people mixed on this tackle class. And then finally, there are some folks, Matt, and you know this better than me, are saying Quentin Nelson is the cleanest prospect in the entire draft. Yeah, it's a weird offensive line class because the interior O-line is so good, whether it's Quentin Nelson and Billy Price. He did have surgery. He told me last night he's going to be out about three months. James Daniels declares early from Iowa, and he is just so smooth playing center. Will Hernandez, Isaiah Wynn from Georgia is going to kick down from left tackle to play guard in the NFL. It's a very good interior offensive line class, but you do get to those tackles, and some people think that Texas is Connor Williams. Maybe he should be a guard because he has 33-inch arms. I still happen to think he could play tackle. You're absolutely right. Orlando Brown from Oklahoma had the worst combine performance I've ever seen, bar none. And not just the 5'8", 540, but 14 reps on the bench, what a 19-inch vert. And it was just, if you even just look at the numbers, people who have like the percent test rate that he did don't get drafted. And this was a guy everyone was saying was a first-round pick not that long ago. I was not a huge fan of his tape. I went and watched him in person a couple times. Didn't think he could move very well. I thought he could move a little better than he did in Indy, so he needs to redeem himself at his pro day. But on the inside, this offensive line class is very good. I think on the outside, you almost have to have a bit of an imagination. Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame is a plug-and-play-ready guy, but he struggled with speed rushers. You can watch the Miami or Georgia games for, for Notre Dame. And he really struggled there, so he's probably going to have to play on the right side. Colton Miller from UCLA, great athlete, but... There's a reason Josh Rosen was hurt all the time. It's because well, there's a lot of pressure coming off the left side of that line. So Colton Miller even needs a lot of work, despite the fact that he tested well and looks like a great athlete. Yeah, you said he's got to get in the weight room a little bit. Looks a little too lean. <laughs> yep, yep, looks like a basketball player. So he's got to fill out a little bit. <laughs> Before I, I touch on the receivers with you real quick, Matt, is someone like Orlando Brown, would he have benefited from just not participating in the combine and just saving all the drills for his pro day after weighing in and being measured? I think there's two schools of thought there. You can look at it that way and say, I know I'm not going to test well, so let me save it for the pro day. But the problem is, then if you bomb the pro day, you don't have a chance to redeem yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's almost better when you're not an athlete or not an athletic guy to have as many chances as possible to improve it. So, you know, he runs a 5.85 in, in Indy. He's going to run a little bit faster his pro day, you would hope. And so it's probably calculated. It might also be the fact where, you know, he just he knows he's not going to test super well. And he can say, hey, like, my film was good. I was All-American. I didn't give up a sack. But who cares how fast I run a 40? Go watch the film. So he's in a, a tricky spot. Hopefully his agents are, are doing some damage control. You know, I, I'm fascinated by this year's receiving core because you look at – all the draft pundits, including yourself, and you see Calvin Lee is universally number one, and then two to five is different 
depending upon whose list you're looking at. So I wanted to know, based on last week's performance in Indianapolis, who are some of the guys that you think have separated themselves from the pack, maybe had a good week or a bad week to improve? And does Equinemius St. Brown have the best name in the NFL draft this year? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you right now, man, I like this Cortland Sutton kid from SMU. No, I, I like Cortland Sutton a lot. He had a good week. I was going to say, guys, the, the, the players at receiver who had good weeks, were, it, it doesn't help us because it was all those guys that are stuck in that tier after Calvin Ridley. So mm. if you wanted to see, okay, who's going to separate from Cortland Sutton and Christian Kirk and DJ Moore, the problem is they all did really well. So we're still kind of stuck in this conundrum of waiting to see. And even Deion Kane from Clemson, who kind of became an afterthought this year because they just didn't have the passing production for him to really showcase himself, he also ran well. So it gets to a point where you kind of wanted the combine to be a separator, and it just wasn't because all those guys did perform well. Cortland Sutton has excellent size, and the combine was so important for him because he needed to show that he can move. He didn't go to the Senior Bowl, so the Combine gets his chance to prove that he has the speed to stretch the field and separate from guys, and he's a big dude, so to run as well as he did, I thought was really, really impressive, and it might get him into the first round. Where are you right now at the quarterback? Sam Darnold did not throw. Baker Mayfield, as you said, hey, let's stop those comparisons to guys like Russell Wilson because he didn't run that fast, but a lot of people would argue he is the best pure passer as far as accuracy in the draft. Josh Allen, perhaps, maybe his stock is up. Lamar Jackson, I thought was cool from my perspective. He said, listen, I'm a quarterback. I'm not going to run. People know I can run. I want to show you what I can do throwing the football. And I know he didn't uneven workout, but I liked his approach. Where do you stand on all these guys? And finally, how about Mason Rudolph? I know that's a guy you like there in the Midwest. <laughs> SEA's boy. <laughs> yeah, I like Mason Rudolph. I really do. It's like a, a second-round guy who could be a starter for you. It's a weird quarterback class because I could run down a list with you guys of all the things I like about each quarterback because they all have like really good traits and really good qualities. And on the, the flip side, we could run down a list of all the things I don't like about these guys because they all have – a really big question mark. It's a it's a really fascinating year. Unlike, you know, last year with Trubisky and Watson and Mahomes, Sam Darnold had 22 turnovers and has a funky throwing motion, and Rosen's been hurt a lot and might not be the most well-liked guy by, you know, coaches and owners and some of the older crowd. Baker's short, not explosively athletic, mm. and he can be a little fiery off the field and on it. Josh Allen, you know, was not accurate in college, so you got to figure out if you can fix that. Lamar Jackson, also not very accurate in college, and a guy who does his style as a predominant runner, does that translate to the NFL? So there are big questions about all of them, but I like this quarterback class. I think there are six guys that we've talked about that deserve to be drafted in the top 50 or 55 picks, and some of that is supply to first demand. You know, these teams are going to draft quarterbacks early. You guys might be one of them. And it's also it's just become the economics of the NFL that if you're drafting early, you get a quarterback because you can build, as we've seen so many of these teams do, like look at what the Rams are doing. You have, even with a quarterback selected first overall, inexpensive compared to how much you're going to pay the you know Kirk Cousins of the world. So you can really load up a roster. And there's no one that I would put at that level of Jared Goff or Carson Wentz. They're probably all closer to where I had like Deshaun Watson and Trubisky last year. 
But if they can get in the right situations, each of these guys could be a very good starter in the NFL. It's so much about situation, you know, what kind of offensive scheme, who do they have at left tackle, who do they have at wide receiver, do they have Todd Gurley behind them. Those types of things really help out. Todd Bowles said the Jets have to have multiple plans at the quarterback position. Mike McCagnan has continued to reiterate throughout the offseason all options on the table as we start free agency week here. The Las Vegas odds have Minnesota one to three, Denver Broncos ten to three, the Jets five to one, and the Arizona Cardinals fifteen to one to get the services of Kirk Cousins. Adam Schefter said those four teams are in the mix. You actually talked to some folks. You think that this could come down to Minnesota and the Jets. What is your overall take on Kirk Cousins and the situation he is facing this week? Well, the odds are five to one that you guys sign him. I might have to. <laughs> we're not talking. I might have to place a bet. Those are pretty good odds. My vacation this summer might be paid for real soon. Um, <laughs> I, I like Kirk Cousins. I love him in the Jeremy Bates offense. I mean, this is you know an offense that is like close to my heart as someone who grew up a 49ers fan and wanted to be the next Bill Walsh. You know, so much of this offense is from that foundation and. We've seen Kirk Cousins play in that scheme, you know, under Kyle Shanahan, under Sean McVay. We've seen him have success. So you don't have to have an imagination to wonder, you know, how is Cousins going to fit in this offense? Because we've seen him do it, and we've seen him have a high level of success. And I, I think one thing that, you know, in Washington, he had that success, sometimes without a great supporting cast. You know, yes, they had a good offensive line, but you know, they've never had a – featured running back who can take pressure off Cousins, kind of like we saw Leonard Fournette do for Blake Bortles this year, or like we see Todd Gurley do with Jared Goff. And even at receiver, there's been a bit of a revolving door as they kind of you know, retool that wide receiver core so often. So I even think that Cousins' best football might still be ahead of him, just because he's going to get somewhere where number one, he feels wanted and appreciated, and number two, where you can build a plan around him to give him actual receivers, a, a deep receiving core, where you can, you know, if you have that quarterback need checked off, you can get a good running back to help him out. So I'm a Cousins guy. I was way too low on him coming out of Michigan State. Uh, I've tried to, to make amends for that since, but I do believe he's the type of quarterback that can win. And with a good supporting cast, I think he could win a Super Bowl. Were you way too low on him? I don't remember. What, what did you have him? I think I had like a third round grade on him, and he ended up becoming a really good starter. So right. that's a, a quarterback class. I mean, that was, that was Russell Wilson and Kirk Cousins. So those are the two guys I'll always remember being way too low on. Listen, you, you're not. Come on, you're not. You're being a little bit hard on yourself. You're not alone. Let's consider wh- where <laughs> no. they went in the draft. And the other, my other thing is, I remember interviewing. I know you were down there that year because we have been going there for multiple years, Ethan. Uh, actually represented us down uh, the Jets 360 team down in Mobile this year. But I remember interviewing both him and Russell Wilson and being so impressed with their intellect and their maturity, those guys coming out. Because we often forget, you know, as we continue to get older, Matt, is that these guys are so young when they come out. But those guys had something upstairs that you're like, yeah, you could see them being the guy, but physically can they be the guy? Yeah, and I actually, that year was my first combine, and I got somehow got access to go and watch them warm up and, like, go through their 
script, basically, of what they were going to do the next day and spend several hours with them. And just remember their trainer pushing me so hard, like, you got to get these guys up in your rankings. They're going to be so good. And I'm like, ah, like, and, you know, and dang it, if he doesn't remind me of that every time I see him. So in your mind, what should the Jets, if that is their plan A, which external speculation has swirled for months now that the Jets would have some kind of interest in Kirk Cousins. If that's their plan A and he signs elsewhere, what do you think should be their alternative plans? Or I shouldn't even say alternative plans, but their other plans. Because, like, I think it's all connected, free agency and the draft, like you were talking about before. Yeah, it is all connected. And you have to have those contingency plans if it doesn't work out. So I think one really smart thing this front office did was trading Sheldon Richardson and getting not only Jermaine Kirsch, but that extra second-round pick. Because now you do have, like you guys said earlier, the draft capital. That if you fall in love with one of the quarterbacks in this year's class, now you have the ammunition to move up from six to get one. You know, even if Cleveland takes Sam Darnold at one and Saquon goes two and Chubb goes three, the Browns might be willing to trade out of four and you can get in front of Denver. And, it, you know, to move up two spots, that's not going to cost a ton. So, now you have the draft capital to be aggressive and make a move, but not completely mortgage your future and give up you know, the opportunity to get still some starters out of the year's draft. So I would look at it that way. You know, This is a quarterback class with four guys who have been projected to go top ten with Sam Darnold, Josh Rose, and Josh Allen, and Baker Mayfield, all expected to be drafted pretty early. They all have starter trades, franchise quarterback trades, it's just a matter of kind of vetting the weaknesses they all bring to the table. But I think at six, you're in a spot where you could get a quarterback to fall, but they also have the room now to move up if they need to. If the Jets answer a quarterback is indeed through the draft and either with that six pick or let's say, like you said, they trade up to four, who do you think schematically makes sense for the Jets and who would you like to see in New York come April? Yeah, well, I think I think Baker Mayfield does fit that offense well. He's accurate. Um, it, I think that's one thing that gets lost with him is just how accurate he is. He operates well on the move, so you can you know get him outside the pocket a little bit. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's smart with the football. Systematically, he could be a fit. And I think Josh Allen could be as well. He does need some things cleaned up. If you're going to draft either of those guys, it would be best to have a free agent veteran like Josh McCown back because they're not going to be ready to step right in there's going to be a learning curve, but I think either guy fits really well just because of the mobility that they bring to the table. I think Josh's arm is going to allow whomever drafts him to really open up their offense because you know he effortlessly throws those deep outs and the comebacks that some of the other guys aren't able to reach like he can. So I could see either one of those players being a really good fit. Yeah, I thought Allen's stock was really going to fall after the senior bowl, and I know you guys were down there watching practices and things like that, it sounded like he had an okay week, whereas in Indianapolis, I think he really helped himself, and now we're talking about all of a sudden, I don't know if Josh Allen is going to last beyond the top six or seven picks in the draft. Yeah, and he might not make it past the first pick, you know. It's, yeah. uh, I know you think, I, I know you think it's going to be Darnold or Allen right there? Or Saquon Barkley. Like, he's... Saquon has done enough to throw himself into that conversation. I can remember a couple months ago running through a Jets mock draft with my co-host, Connor Rogers, and it was like, man, Saquon might fall to the Jets. How amazing would that be? And now it's like, there's no way. No. There's no way he's <laughs> going to make it to six. So, uh, unfortunately, because you guys would have a lot of fun with him. He's a, a great player and a great person. But hey, the, yeah, the Browns have options. 
and he grew up a Jets fan. He grew up a Jets fan. Yeah, that's why we didn't even waste any of your time today talking about oh. Saquon because he's a beast. Mm-hmm. And, and he had a fantastic combine, and he's a great kid. And I just can't see him being around after the top three overall selections in the draft. You've got to follow this guy at NFL Draft Scout. You got to listen to his podcast. Stick to football. I'm a big IPA fan, so I got to ask you a couple <laughs> questions. I know you gave somebody a recommendation about Boulevard Tank Seven. There's a brewery in Brooklyn. Six points resin. You ever have that before? I haven't. I got oh. to gotta write this down though. Yes. R e s i n. They're in cans. It is fantastic. Very smooth. High alcohol percentage but a smooth beer nice hops more of a northeastern ipa uh, i'm not gonna let matt go until he tells me his favorite name in the 2018 nfl draft class oh man. based based That's on so a name tough. perspective because the two that I stick mean, out to me are equanimius st brown he said a twice and, and hercules mataafa did i pronounce I, that right hercules that's the best one okay i, I, without a doubt. Okay. I figured and, yeah all right that, that's all I got. That's that's draft chat here on the official Jets podcast. Again, like EA said, follow Matt Miller on Twitter, NFL Draft Scout. Listen to his podcast. Stick to football. It gets me through traffic in the morning. Matt, thanks a lot. EA, I heard uh, I heard your name was almost Hercules Mataafa. Pardon me. <laughs> Hercules Mataafa is one of the players in this year's draft, and that's who Matt Miller believes, as he just told us, is the best name in the draft, along with EQ St. Brown of Notre Dame. Who well, had you said that three times today, Greens. Let's talk about free agency here. When I look at free agency right now, Greens, you look internally first, and some of the unrestricted free agents the Jets have right now with expiring contracts include Morris Claiborne, Demario Davis, Josh McCown and Austin Safarian Jenkins. So those are the four guys at the top of my list internally mm-hmm. who I'm going to be real intrigued to see where are they going. Are they going to stay here or maybe elsewhere? Well, who are you intrigued by externally? Because I have my eyes on a couple guys. One guy in particular is Allen Robinson, played for the Jaguars since he was drafted in the second round out of Penn State. And he only played three plays this season. I mean, his stat line this year is one catch for 17 yards because he tore his ACL. But this is someone who's going to be 25 years old. He's a big play receiver, right? Yeah, in 2015 when he had his breakout year, 1,400 yards, and he led the NFL with 14 touchdowns. And could last year's free agency market, like an Alshon Jeffrey, kind of set the precedent for someone like Robinson because Jeffrey had a down year. He signed a one-year contract with $14 million with the Eagles. And then he signed an extension for mega millions of dollars. Could Allen Robinson go that route, or is he going to be someone that wants a little more sustainability uh, uh, and get the multi-year deal? Yeah, my sense. I don't know Allen Robinson. Even no, though no, I, I just think the I option. I understand. I'm just prefacing by saying that if I'm coming out and I'm a free agent, I'm looking for fit, guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. What's my role in the offense going to be? So if you're Allen Robinson, I don't know if Alshon Jeffrey is going to be a barometer for him because I think he might have multiple suitors. I don't recall Jeffrey's path in free agency, so to speak, but I'm going to be surprised if he doesn't sign a multi-year deal. Also because, like I said before, he's going to be 25 years old. Yes. Jeffrey's closer to 30. The only negative part, I mean, Jeffrey bet on himself 
and he won big. The other side of that is someone like Terrell Pryor, who had a good year in Cleveland. He signed up with the Washington Redskins last season. Kirk Cousins as his quarterback, and he didn't. He was hurt. He didn't have a great year, and now he's looking for a new home again. So there's obviously two edges to the sword. So yeah, yeah. So uh, the other receiver who kind of struggled last year in LA, but he got in the end zone a number of times, as you wrote about Ethan, was Sammy Watkins because. I've seen him in Buffalo take over games at times, and he is tremendous speed, and I think he can go underneath as well. He's one to watch because I think he's only he's only 24 years old. I still think he's got a high ceiling in the National Football League, but let's go back to the cornerback position. I'm going to switch back to the defensive side of the ball. We'll talk about Trumaine Johnson. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who's going to be out there because the Rams have been so active so far in this offseason, setting up parameters and deals to acquire not only just Marcus Peters, but to keep the lead. What the Rams are doing is, I think, rather rare in the NFL nowadays, is trading for guys, and all their moves won't become official until two days from now yeah. at the league year. But their secondary is going to look completely different, and they got rid of Robert Quinn, who's now a member of the Miami Dolphins. Mm, yep. Could they be saving up money and clearing room for an extension for someone like Aaron Donald? I, I guess we'll find out. And remember that Wade Phillips coached Aqib Tlaib in Denver, and Aqib Tlaib apparently, Ian Rappaport reported this, that Tlaib said he only wants to go two places, New England and L.A., because right. of Wade Phillips. So just sticking it on the cornerback position yep. is – you mentioned Trumaine Johnson. Denard Wilson has been with him since they've been in St. Louis together. They've been in L.A. as a part of the Rams. Denard Wilson came from the Rams, and now obviously he's the defensive backs coach of the Jets. So, yeah, so yeah that, that there's, a, there's but, a tie there. Well, yeah, but I, I, all I'll say is that I think people sometimes they try to connect the dots too early. Yes, but, I agree. But to your point, he knows all his strengths. He also knows all yes. his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So. We have no idea what Denard Wilson thinks of Tremaine Johnson. We should say that Tremaine Johnson played very well under Denard. Uh, I agree with that. Tremaine Johnson, in his six-year career, has 67 pass defenses and 18 interceptions. He's someone that has quietly gotten the franchise tag two years in a row, similar to someone like Kirk Cousins. So he's made a lot of money the past two years, and this is the time that he's finally able to test the market. Someone that's, I'd say, a tier below him, maybe a little bit of a small-ticket guy, is Redskins corner Bashad Breland. Four years, he's been starting for the Washington Redskins since he's been drafted out of Clemson. He has 60 pass defenses, so he's very active. I've only watched him play a couple times, but maybe someone like that who's a lesser name on the market could be someone that Mike McCagnin wants to address in free agency. And Rappaport did tell us that he would not be surprised at all if Claiborne landed back here with the Jets. He told both of us on numerous occasions that he loved it here. He thought he played his best professional ball here. He really likes Denard Wilson. He's fond of Todd Bowles. You talk about Morris Claiborne wanting to be a member of the Jets long term. He said, quote, why would I want to pack up and leave when everything I want is right here? Someone else that's very vocal about his desire to stay here is Austin Safarian yep. Jenkins. He loves New York City. He's told me he actually just likes going to the city and people watching. No headphones, just looking around. That's regardless. He had a career year last year. He rededicated himself. He became what he described as a rookie because this was the first year to him, in his words, that he was truly focused and dedicated to the game, and he refound his love for the game. But if the Jets decide to go elsewhere... There's a couple guys, too, I, I, you know, we should mention, too, 
and I know it doesn't get a lot of pub right now, but Wesley Johnson's an unrestricted free agent. He did a nice job uh, after taking over from Nick Mangle. Jonathan Harrison, also his backup on unrestricted free agent. So the Jets could be here Wednesday without a really true center on the roster. Uh, Dakota Dozier is a guy who's worked inside at both guard and center, but he's an unrestricted free agent too. So the center position is an area we have to watch as well. The guy who's getting the most buzz in media circles right now is a young player for the Baltimore Ravens who made a name for himself last year, Ryan Jensen. And not only that, but he's a guy that, again, you don't know because he had one year at center. He succeeded. So what's the market for him going to look like? If you're looking at other players, Weston Richburg of the Crosstown Giants Just a great point. was hurt for the majority of last Concussion, year. Concussion, yep. But... Before that, he was playing at a high level. Spencer Long, the Redskins center, he's another name that a lot of people are talking about. And not only that, but the older gentleman for the Los Angeles Rams, John Sullivan. So there are a lot of options there if the Jets decide to go elsewhere. So much to be decided. Uh, and then finally, we got to talk about Josh McCown just real quickly. McCown, ultimate professional. Career year under Jets quarterbacks coach Jeremy Bates. Well, Jeremy Bates is now the offensive play caller. Tremendous respect uh, between those two guys. Remember, they not only worked here last year and had success, but they did some good things as McCown was the backup to Jay Cutler in Chicago. So their relationship goes back a long ways. So when the Jets say they have multiple options to quarterback mm-hmm. position, obviously that's the main headline moving forward here in free agency and in the draft, one of those options could be Josh McCown. So I don't want people at home to say, well, Josh McCown, that would be a bad option because Josh McCown had a career year last year. He's also expressed to a number of external media outlets that he would be comfortable mentoring a young quarterback here. So the Jets could go that option of McCown and drafting one, adding them to the already – Two quarterbacks they have on the roster, Petty and Hackenberg. I totally agree with you. I think that whatever plans A and B are, let's say one is through free agency and one's through the draft, I don't think that the drop-off in talent are that different. Because let's say the Jets go out in free agency, they get their quarterback. All right, that's great. Now you can focus on other positions in the draft. On the flip side, you sign McCown, who, like you said, had a career year last year. You add pieces around the offense and the defense, and then all of a sudden, like Matt Miller said, maybe at six, if you make a trade up in the draft, you get your guy. Now you have McCown, who you know will be a good mentor to whoever walks in the door as a rookie. And I don't think that either is a bad option. It's just two different methods, two different approaches of how to get your guy for the long term. So it'll be very interesting. Yeah, We're two do- days away. Domino's about to fall. It's going to be a fun week. Let the madness begin.